The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. So for a middle-aged dog, there's a couple of different um, options depending on the individual dog in the situation. So if the dog is under four years old uh, and comes back for uh, whatever reason, we will evaluate the dog and determine if they are a suitable candidate to be replaced. So uh, in some situations, like say the dog had to be early retired from their first handler because they had a medical issue, then that dog would not be replaced um, because obviously that medical issue precludes it be- from being a working dog. If for some reason the dog's handler had some health issues and was no longer to uh, work the dog themselves, then in that situation, we would kind of put the dog back into training, give them a little bit of a refresher course, and then we would look at them for replacement. And again, that's a dog that is four years or younger. If the dog is five years or older, then it's a little bit different. Um, so we would generally not replace them in one of our programs. Um, we would look for, first, we would offer them to the handler. If they uh, had to retire the dog, they could either adopt that dog themselves or have a family member adopt them. Um, if they decline, the next person uh, that we would go to would be the puppy raiser and offer the puppy raiser the dog that they raised back in their home. And if they decline, then the next person that it would go to is we have a list of potential adopters um, at Southeastern. Our waiting list is actually very long. We have lots of people that are very interested in giving uh, homes to retired guides that, for whatever reason, find themselves in need of a new home. Um And then I also, to backtrack a little bit, I did forget to mention the dogs that are four or under, if they have a a reason that they would not be suitable for guide dog work, but they could still work as a service dog, um, we would give them that option. Or we also have our kids companion program, our gold star family dog, which is where we um, give a highly trained dog to a family that has uh, lost a family family member in military service. or we would also look for public service placements, which is where we partner with outside programs um, where we don't train the dogs ourselves, but Southeastern partners with like mom and arson programs, um, police dogs, that kind of thing, where we would potentially place the dog there. Okay, I think that wraps it up for me. Thank you. Okay, Emily, would you like to add anything to this question? Um, at Leader Dog, all of that is very similar and um, just. The reason we don't use dogs that are usually four years or older is that we want them to have enough, and you as a handler, like if we're placing them with a new person, we don't want you to have to come back for a replacement dog, you know, in a few years as it like the typical retirement age for a dog would probably be around eight to 10 years old. Uh, So that's the reason for the, like the four year age um, differentiation. Okay, our next one is several parts to it. We're talking, and this is an issue that all of us come across, in-home adjustment of a new dog. Whether it's your first dog or, or, or past dogs, we always have this question, what do you do when you bring a new dog into a home? Um, you've got the family members, you've got other pets, and if you have a retired dog, guide dog, that's another issue you have to consider. So I'd like to get some some feedback from our wonderful instructors here 
to what you think about situations like that. The first one, and I'll give this to you, Gabriel, is uh, what do you do in terms of introducing your new guide to a former retired guide that's in your home? Okay, so um, introducing to your retired guide. Uh, it's kind of, every dog is so different, um, so each situation is going to vary a little bit. Uh, generally speaking, we recommend introducing um, your new guide dog to really any pets in the home, well, specifically dogs. So this would go for a retired guide dog as well. Um, introducing them in a neutral territory, so not in the home or necessarily in the yard of the home. Um, you could even go a few houses down or to, you know, maybe to a park nearby. This is just to ensure that um, the dog already living in the home does not feel threatened by this new dog suddenly entering the home. Um, we don't typically see like aggression in these situations, but it's just to kind of keep it fair um, and, and make sure it's neutral on both ends. Um, so one thing we recommend is what I would call like a pack walk. So you would essentially walk the dog side by side at a bit of a distance. This way the dogs aren't approaching each other head on. Um, they're less likely to feel threatened. Um, you know, similar to people, you might feel a little bit more anxious if you're meeting someone head on versus if you're just walking alongside them, you know, because that body language um, can play a part. Um, and then once you're confident that, you know, they're going to do okay, then you can kind of let them walk a little closer and greet each other. Um, and then, of course, allow them to be in the home together. Um, one thing uh, Southeastern requires is that you keep your new guide dog on leash for the first 60 days. This is to um, ensure that you're bonding and also to make sure that that dog is not getting into any trouble or spending too much time with other family members or, you know, playing with your other dogs too much. And just, it just helps with the whole bonding process um, ultimately. So that's also really going to help if you have other pets in the home, you know, make sure they're not interacting or getting too rough. Um, and let me think, what else am I forgetting? Um, as far as like allocating time between the new dog and the old, um, with your retired guide, we, if you plan to keep it, we welcome you to allow other family members in the home to care for that dog. It can be a lot to take care of, you know, two dogs and you really want to focus on your new guide dog and bonding and spending your time with them. Um, so we definitely recommend if you have a family member that's willing to take over the responsibility of your retired guide, that can be really helpful. Um, do you want me to continue with the well, other parts? You answered several of the okay. questions I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if you would speak about um, jealousy between the dogs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this is case-by-case -case basis. Your retired guide dog might become a little jealous when they see you interacting with a new dog. Um, we don't necessarily have any set guidelines for, you know, avoiding this situation. Um in terms of like feeding and giving them toys together, I would recommend feeding them in different rooms or potentially even feeding your new guide dog in the crate. This will also help keep the crate a positive place as well in the beginning. Um, this is just to you know avoid any resource guarding. Of course, we don't place any dogs with known resource guarding issues, um, but you know things can happen, and it's just best to um, take precautions to avoid that. Uh, so yeah, feeding your dogs in separate rooms or areas and 
keeping an eye on them, making sure one is not trying to run to the other dog's bowl, that kind of thing. But also the first 60 days, that's another reason we have the dog on leash is so that you have the dog with you and you know what they're doing at all times. Um, and as far as toys, similar thing. Uh, we have specific toys that we recommend to our clients. Uh, usually like a hard nylabone toy, like uh, Benabone is a good one, nylabone. We don't recommend like any soft toys just because that can lead to obstruction and then, you know, them ingesting the toy and then you are dealing with an exploratory surgery, which we want to avoid, of course. So if you're a tired guy, maybe does well with soft toys, we would recommend, especially in the beginning, avoiding those soft toys. Uh, if you feel confident that the dogs can play nicely together, then by all means, I think that's totally fine. Um, and I think there was one on walking the dogs together, relieving the dogs. I was curious if you speak about allocate, and you may have already answered this question, oh. allocating time and attention to your old dog and your new dog. Sure. Yeah, so allocating time between the new and old dog. That's a good one. Um, this is, again, why it's helpful to have family members kind of take over because your dog is less likely to you know, feel neglected. And... Um, you know, of course, having two dogs can be a bit much. And also, uh, some rental companies, like if you're in an apartment or you have a landlord, some of them do not allow pets. So if you, that's a situation you're in, you have no choice but to give that dog up to someone else. Um, so that way you can continue to work your, your new guide dog and focus on that. Uh, does anyone, is anyone in that situation? Sometimes it can be a bit tricky. You just mentioned about problem complex. The law states that if you have a, a guide dog, the those rules don't take place, right? But you're talking about the second dog? Correct. Because at that point, it would not no longer be a working guide dog. It would be just a pet at that point. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of stinks because there's a lot of people who you know would really like to keep that retired guide dog. But unfortunately, due to those rules, it makes it challenging. Um, so um, I'm trying to think what else Forgetting. Did you have some? Yeah. Yes. So I, I touched on that a little bit in terms of like feeding the dogs in separate spaces just to avoid, you know, one dog running to the other bowl and any resource guarding. Again, we don't place dogs with no resource guarding issues, but maybe your retired guy has developed some of that, especially with a new dog in the home. So it's just best to play it safe, feed them separately in different areas. Okay. Sam, would you like to add anything to what Gabrielle said? All, all of those are great ideas. And then I guess one other one, like if you have a fenced in area or something, a yard, you could still play, maybe make some designated time to play with your old guide dog or whatever they used to really love. Um, and that could be with the you know new guide dog out there or they can be in their crate, I think, which was mentioned at the time around tie down and just have that special time um, together with them. So, yeah. I think Katie covered it um, and got covered it pretty well on that okay now we're at the point where we're opening the floor to any questions that you have or anyone in the audience the zoom audience has uh if you would raise your hand and sue thank you sue we'll bring you the cordless mic to ask your question yes i have a question um I'm currently on my um, fourth guide here, and uh, in the past, my past three guides, I've gone to various schools. Last dog came from Southeastern. This time, I went with a school that did homebound training, and I'd like to know if you could kind of um, 
kind of describe the benefits uh, or disadvantages of uh, homebound training versus in-school training? Thank you. Well, that's an interesting question. That's one we've wrestled with for years. There's good and bad to both. Um, I've uh, personally, I have had dogs both way trained in the school, and I've also had dogs trained and worked with me at home. And it's good and bad to both. Let me see what our ladies here have to say about it. Um, so, yes, that is definitely um, a very complicated topic, and it does also uh, really a lot depend on like a case by case basis. Um, some of the advantages of coming to campus to learn to work with your new guide are just that on campus, it's um, a very controlled environment. So you don't have to worry about childcare or going to work every day or cooking your meals. We can provide all of that so that you have all of your time and attention to focus on your new dog. Um, additionally, we also know our area very well. And so we know where to go to find the specific routes that we would like to start out with. Uh, so we can progress from those very simple um, beginner routes to more complex routes over the course of the time that you're in class. Whereas for home placement, obviously it's much more familiar to you, but less familiar to us. So it can be more challenging to find all of the routes that we need um, to make sure that you're prepared for whatever you may encounter in the working life of your dog. However, some of the advantages of a home placement are that we get to be with you for those first routes that you work in your home environment. And we're there to troubleshoot anything, help you figure out maybe the best uh, specific routes that you may have to change up some certain things. So definitely there are pros and cons to either, um, but it also definitely depends on the person as well. You know, some people just their life is if they have like young kids or something like that, it's just not feasible for them to come to campus. And then there are some people where they absolutely would not want a home placement. They really want that time to focus on their dog where they don't have to worry about like kind of the outside world. Um, Gab, do you have anything to add? Um, no, I feel like that pretty much covers it, but also it's, it can be um, a good bonding experience uh, with the students. Uh, it's just kind of, creates a nice community and you can talk to other visually impaired students um, and get a feel for what other people are going through and, you know, get advice, hear your stories. And um, again, like Sam was saying, like campus, our campus is very controlled. So these dogs know these routes very well and they're likely to succeed in these routes. Um, so it gives the opportunity to really start routes off smoothly and, um, you know, in a positive manner. And then, of course, <laughs> increasing the difficulty as we go on. So sometimes that's difficult in your home area. But I feel like that, yeah. And then one thing to add, um, additionally, when you're on campus, um, the, you have access to the instructors for a longer amount of time. Um, for a home placement, obviously, what we want to give you the best possible training that we can. But when we're in your home, it's generally for a shorter amount of time. And you don't have an instructor there, you know, pretty much. 14 hours a day. Whereas if you uh, have the on-campus training, you can come and find an instructor or we'll find you pretty much any hour of the day and answer any question that possibly pops into your head. Then we also have the lectures and you also have any question that anyone else asks in front of you, then you get to learn from what uh, they ask as well. So it's just a much more like in-depth experience, I suppose. Um, 
so yeah, just building off of that, one of the reasons for maybe doing a home delivery or that would be really beneficial would be if you have a very complex or special environment that we can't necessarily mirror on campus. So like here in Michigan at Leader Dog, we don't a lot of public transportation or our largest city is Detroit, which uh, especially recently has had lower crowds and stuff. So it's not as easy to prepare a dog that would be going to a large city like Chicago or something like that. So uh, to work to build that up in your home environment, as they were saying with you and to make sure that the dog is comfortable there. Um, that's all I really had to add. Um, I'm on with the third guide from Southeastern. I'm very happy with him, although sometimes he would probably disagree with that. <laughs> but um, I, I had a question. It's not about a new guide situation or anything like that. I was wondering what how the schools feel about um, when the pups are being brought up and trained. Could they be familiarized with footwear because mine refuses to wear it? And I live in Florida, and it's hot. And, and so I have to be super careful, get dropped off by a door so we can go straight in. And sometimes you need to walk across asphalt, and he just won't have none of it. Um, and I was just wondering if the schools had uh, views on that, because I know up north it's snowy, and they have to wear footwear too. So any comments on that? Good question. Ladies, what would you like to say? Anything? That's an interesting question, Mary. This. Um, so we, I'm glad you asked this because now it's making me think we should do this more often. We definitely have dogs that we know are going to be wearing these booties. So towards kind of the end of training, once we know that for sure, we'll start acclimating the dog to these booties. Uh, that's another benefit of class is we have various sizes of these booties that we test on the dogs that are in, currently in class. So that way we can help measure the dog's feet and help students order those for them. Um, so we, again, if we know like a dog is going to be going up north, dealing with a lot of snow and ice and salt, we, this is something we'll definitely do. Um, or if we have dogs that tend to be a little bit more sensitive to the hot asphalt, we will uh, test them out in these booties as well. Uh, but very good question. I, I definitely think moving forward, we should maybe make more of an effort of doing that maybe earlier on. I think it's just a little difficult because we only have so many sizes of booties, so not all of them fit all of the dogs. So we sometimes have to make you know some changes there. But um, yeah, good question. Yeah. Good question. Sam, you want to add, add anything? Sure. Nope. Sorry. Um, one thing for your specific situation, I would say is um, if that's something that you really would like to uh, pursue, I would suggest contacting your alumni advisor um, who can help you further with that. Um, additionally, um, that, like Gab said, that is something that we've been talking about more. And I am very interested in, I was uh, just put, I think we just put in a picture on Instagram of a dog and some booties just last week. Um, but yes, I am sorry that you're dealing with that, that, that I definitely see how that is very inconvenient, but it is something we're starting to talk about more recently. Okay, good. Thank you. Emily, would you like to add anything to that one? Uh, we don't. Usually, we're up here in Michigan again. We're not typically dealing with the heat for the booties, so we are just putting on for the winter. Um, so typical or same, similar to what the other instructors said, we practice that a little bit. Uh, 
just to make sure the dogs are comfortable in them, but we pre- we could practice, you know, getting them on and getting more comfortable earlier on. We're also using, it's almost like a balloon that the dog put over their feet because, again, we're just trying to protect them from the salt. So it sounds like the ones you guys have are maybe a little more um, sturdy and specific for your dogs. Hi. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to the on-campus versus um, in-home training. Uh, that's something my grandmother's considering getting a guide dog, and that's something that you know we've discussed. So if you were to go on campus, um, train with the dog, and then come home, and her home is pretty unique, so come home and they're, discover an issue that we didn't discover on campus, would a trainer be able to come to the home? Okay. Good that question. Would, that would be a resource. And then also, do you guys have any resources you could provide because they travel a lot? Um, I used to rodeo very competitively, and every circuit that you ran with usually provided, because you had to find lodging, provided uh, like a list of places that you could that were easiest to stay like with your animals. So would that be a resource you guys could provide as well? You know, you say, I'm going to take a trip to Las Vegas. You know, do you have a list of the places I could stay that would accommodate me the best? Okay, so you talk about follow-up number one. Um, and different schools have different amounts of follow-up, and good, that's a good point. Okay, ladies, you want to respond? Uh, another good question. So our school does a follow-up within 90 days, so depending on the student, if we feel they need um, a follow-up sooner, then of course, we, you know, sometimes we'll come out a week after class, or right away, um, honestly. So it just depends on the student and their concerns, and how soon you're able to get out to your area, depending on how far it is and that kind of thing. Um, to answer your question about like lodging, we don't have specific resources for that. Uh, if you're in class and you say, hey, I'm going to be staying in this area, we may be able to help you research hotels and say, hey, this one looks like it allows dogs, that kind of thing. However, if you have a service dog, they are required to allow you to stay. So in terms of having a guide dog, that should be no issue. Um, again, if you have other pets, then it gets a little hairy there. But um, yeah, and I, they will not charge you either for that dog um, as it is a service dog. Did that answer? Okay. Emily, do you want to add anything to that? Um, one thing I did think of about the home deliveries is that usually we suggest for first-time clients for first-time guide dog users, for them to come on campus, they'll have a longer period of time with the instructors. And, you know, there's a lot of things just to get used to, right? And the repetitiveness and having someone there to support you for that longer period of time is really helpful, as well as mentioned earlier, the building the community. Um, so that's just really helpful, especially for a first-time client. Okay, does that, does that answer your question? Okay, next question. Either here or on Zoom. Yeah, I have one. Is there an age, excuse me, is there an age limit as far as the or beginning age for, for a person that wants to get a guide dog? Interesting question. I've seen them as young as 16 and as old as 90. Now, I don't know about Southeastern. What's your, what's your thoughts? Um, so Southeastern, actually, um, we do place dogs with teens. Our um, lower limit is a mature 15. Um, and we also have something called a kids camp, which is where 
our kids as young as 13 can come and stay for the weekend with um, a parent or both parents, and they'll stay on campus and do a very immersive experience throughout the weekend um, that can, you know, they get a chance to work with the dogs. They get to ask all their questions to the instructors. Um, We do all kinds of things. We even have a poop picking up session because that is our number one question that we get at kids camp. They, they love it. It's like their favorite session. Um, But yes, so mature 15 is our uh, younger limit. And then we do not have an upper age limit on the opposite end. Um, Sam mentioned earlier our Kids Companion Program, um, which is where we place dogs with children who are visually impaired. So these are obviously kids that are younger than 15 and will one day potentially have a guide dog when they're old enough. Uh, This dog is not a service dog by any means. It's mostly just a pet so they can get used to taking care of a dog and what it might be like to one day have a guide dog in the future. Good. That sounds like something perfect for a puppy raiser. Um, as I said, the age doesn't really matter as much as condition. Uh, I wouldn't want to give a dog to somebody who's 20 who is in lousy condition. But if you have somebody who's 95 in great condition, give them a dog. Um, my wife's uncle was 94 and walked five miles a day. So he definitely would have been a good candidate. So I think a lot of it has to do with what condition the person is in. Okay, do we have another question? Just a quick question. Uh, guide dog versus guide dog interaction. I noticed here at the hotel, and I've been subject to it, is the guide dogs get distracted by other guide dogs. And I guess they're just being dogs. What is the best way to handle that when two guide dogs in harness are, both of them are distracted by each other? Good question. Let me ask our ladies about that one. Any thoughts? Good question. Um, One I'm not entirely sure I have the perfect answer for. Uh, Ultimately, I think it's the handler's responsibility to make sure that the dog is behaving themselves. So maybe it's a matter of adding some distance between you and the other handler and making sure that the dog is, you know, on your left side and maybe having the dog sit. Um, I don't know if most of you use treats or in positive reinforcement with your guide dogs, but that can also be helpful if you know you have treats on you and you're treating any time that they're behaving well or staying in a sit, that can be helpful. It's challenging because all these guide dogs are getting together and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a party. Like, you know, what's happening? <laughs> this is for me. So it's, it's a little challenging. I think there's definitely like a learning curve there and an adjustment anytime you really come to something like this. So I think just being respectful of fellow handlers and, and you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take a step or two back, or do you mind having your dog, you know, closer to your side so it's not visiting my dog, if it's that kind of situation. Hopefully that helps. Good answer. Thank you. You know, a lot of the answer to that question, I think, is that the handler needs to be aware of what their dog is doing. I'm lucky. My dog doesn't care about other dogs. <laughs> He could, he ignores other dogs, which is good. Now, people is another question. While Katie's up here, what is your question? I actually just had a quick comment back to the, the boots and all that kind of thing. Um, another thing to, to think about if your dog does not tolerate the boots um, is the wax. So the Musher Secret, or there's a product out there called Bailey's Paw Wax. It's not as great in the heat because it's wax, so it'll melt quicker. Um, but if if you're just quick in and out, 
um, and your dog really just won't tolerate the boots, I'd, I'd give it give it a whirl. Okay, I think this has been an absolutely wonderful session. I truly appreciate Emily and Gabrielle and Sam coming and talking to us this morning, getting our questions answered, giving us information. I would like to thank ACB Media for hosting for us and streaming our convention. Rick Warren has been working very, very hard. Lucy Edmonds has been our host. In the back of our room, our cameraman is Ryan Cordell, and we've been having a lot of Zoom issues this morning, and we certainly appreciate everyone's patience. But what would a convention be without a door prize? And we have one. Our winner this morning um, is a prize donated by Jacksonville Council of the Blind. It's a $25 Amazon gift card, and it goes to Tom Badcock. All right. So he is our winner. And I'm finished. Doug, do you have a closing word or two? Can I ask one more question? I have sight. And I had a young man this morning who was not happy because the dog put his nose in my lap and I pet him. What do you advise as far as a person that has sight when people's dogs come to them? I mean, I know we're supposed to ask, and I always do that. But sometimes the dog makes a decision. <laughs> So dogs are still living creatures and they're never going to be perfect. Um, in that situation, really ideally what you would do is kind of let the handler know what has happened. And I would, if that happens to me, I usually am just like, oh, it looks like your dog found me just to let you know. And, you know, hands off, let the handler handle that situation. And by petting the dog, you're rewarding the behavior and saying, oh, if you do this, look, you get attention, you get love. And that teaches the dog that, oh, I go and approach people and I ignore my handler and I get love and attention. So that unfortunately makes that handler's life a lot harder if people reinforce the behavior of that dog. So it's hard as it is. I know they're very cute and very sweet, but it is very important for the safety of the handler and the relationship of that working dog to, even though it's hard, just tell them, oh, you found me, hands off and let them move on. I thank you for coming. Um, and like I said earlier, I will be sending out copies of our new bylaws to each person who is a member. So if you're not a member, join our organization. Um, there are a lot of guide dog users in Florida. We'd like them to get to be involved in our organization to advocate for guide dog users. And I thank you very much for coming.